Let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on. Let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave your changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week we uh, talked on that Jesus is still making appearances. And today we want to continue in our series, Empowered, and share with you how he shows up today in the form of an encounter to transform a life. And the word encounter simply means to come up on or meet someone unexpectedly, uh, kind of like my brother did with the, the, the warden last week, uh, with the clam, clam guy. But uh, I had the same thing happen with me. Uh, I was younger, and I was uh, at a meeting uh, for pastors to meet uh, George W. Bush before he became president. And uh, I was at the meeting, and we're all just kind of meandering around and talking. And, and uh, so all of a sudden, I feel this tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and he goes, George W. Bush. I had no idea who he was. I had not looked up his picture. I thought he'd be tall like his dad. He was the same height or maybe shorter than me. And I went, uh, Doug Cotton. <laughs> and all these other pastors then started hovering around. They were having him sign uh, their Bibles. I didn't bring a Bible. I wanted him to sign my forehead, but that didn't happen. <laughs> but anyway, all I can say is that was a truly unexpected encounter. Well, today is a story about a man on a mission to kill Christians, and the church is now about six years old, and uh, Saul of Tarsus is uh, killing Christians for sport, but the good news is he has an encounter with the living God. And let me just say, encounters with God can change people, can change cities, can change nations, and they can change them into a, uh, uh, into a supernatural version of themselves that no one thought was possible. In fact, this encounter changes Saul of Tarsus beyond anyone, anything anyone expected. And so it, was, it made him really almost unrecognizable from the people who knew him before. So I just want you to hear today, no one is beyond the redemptive, transformational power of Jesus. I like to call them the long shots in life. Um, I, I want you to think about people in your life that are least likely to show up in church, least likely to surrender their lives to Jesus because that's what this guy was like. Now, after this encounter with Jesus, uh, he will become known as Paul, the apostle, but not because God changed his name, but because his uh, Gentile name, he was a Roman citizen, was Paul. And so he started going by the Latin name uh, Paul because his uh, call was to the Gentiles. 
And the name Paul means small or little. Before that, he was somebody big, wanted to make something big out of himself. But uh, when he became a Christian, uh, after Christ, he decided, I need to become small and let Christ become big in my life. So uh, he's saying, uh, or he, he writes a scripture about two decades later uh, about his conversion, and uh, it's in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We, most of us know it, but if you don't, read it out with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That word behold there means to step back in awe. Take a look. Now, you might want to just step back in awe and look what God's done in your life. The old is gone, the new has come, and this is what the empowerment of the Holy Spirit does in a believer once he comes to know Jesus Christ. So, Paul was a zealot, uh, but for the wrong reasons. In other words, he was a guy that was after God. He thought in a powerful way. The problem was he thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. So, to me, this is God... God has a way of setting people up that will change us forever. Every one of us probably have a story like this, but one thing I've learned over the years, and that is that opposition and persecution never stops the church. Whatever the enemy is throwing at you, he can never slow you down or derail you when you are filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Let me say it this way. Nobody can take you out of the center of God's will but you. All right, so here's the story. Acts chapter nine, verse one. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So he's having a good time. He's powerful. He's got a military behind him. He's enjoying what he's doing. And then verse two, and he asked letters from these uh, uh, people at the synagogue, gogs of Damascus, so that, he, so that if he found Uh, any who are of the way. In other words, give me some letters, give me some authority. That's what they were called, by the way. The way uh, was what they were called as Christians until Antioch, where they became Christians, which means little Christ. So if you call yourself a Christian, you're saying, I'm a little Christ. Now, whether it says whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So let me me help you get a picture of this. Uh, This angry young man who, who's, who hates Christians, who's uh, thinking he's doing God a favor. He's going house to house, knocking on the doors. And as he does, he's pulling out men, he's pulling out women, and he's pulling out mothers, and he's putting them in chains. And then he takes them to Jerusalem to stand trial. So Saul's plan is to go 140, he's so driven, he's willing to go 140 miles by horseback north to Damascus. But God has another plan. Check this out. Verse three, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around, shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you get your name called twice, you know you're in trouble. Now, Like we said earlier, he thinks he's doing God a big favor by putting Christians to death. So Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And 
I just want you to know from God's perspective, when you are harming another believer or a believer and what God's trying to accomplish through their lives, you need to know this. You are attacking Jesus himself. So uh, he asked, uh, Paul asked two important questions. And he said in verse five, who are you, Lord? And I just want you to know, that should be the first question every Christian asks. Once you come to know the Lord is, who are you, Lord? And then he tells them, I am Jesus, who you are, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he's saying, listen, I want you to know right straight from here, straight out here, I am Jesus, you're persecuting me. Now, I want you to know a goad was a very sharp stick, and if you were plowing and you were taking the oxen, you would take this sharp stick and put it into the uh, legs of the ox to move them over. And as Paul is persecuting the church, he's sensing, having some sense that I'm, I'm off track, but I can't figure it out. So God's been goading him and using things to get his attention. So Jesus has come to get Saul in line. And I love the next question that Saul asks, which every Christian should ask, especially new believers. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. In other words, Saul realizes his life is no longer his. I'm not mine to please, to do with as I please. And I need some specific directions. And I think many people, what they do is they get saved, get their fire insurance, but then they need to know, Jesus, who are you? Lord, who are you? And Lord, what do you want me to do? And I love that God gives him very specific directions. But notice, he doesn't give him a bunch of directions. He gives him one step. He tells him, he doesn't give him two, three, four, five, and six. He just gives him the next step. So I, I want to say this. Many people miss God's will in their lives because they want God to give them steps one through 10 instead of saying, okay, God, because we need to remember this life, this Christian life is a life of faith. And so he gives you one step at a time and you got to step out, do what he told you to do and obey him and then go from there, all right? So uh, verse seven, it says, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So, excuse me, so Paul goes into this intense time of fasting and prayer. And verse 10 tells us, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for the one called uh, Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, you Ananias, coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to, uh, done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has, and in this place is what he's saying, he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And what he's really saying is, 
Lord, you've got the wrong guy. I, I don't know if you know that, but this guy's killing people like me. I'm not ready to go meet this man. And it reminds me of a story that I, I happened in my life years ago. Uh, the, the gals in my office came and said, hey, there's a guy who's desperate. He needs to see you. Uh, he's desperate to talk to you. And I said, okay, bring him back. So they brought him back. He's, he, the, they leave him there. He, the door is shut. He sits down. He's looking at me and he says, uh, I just feel like I have a spirit of murder on my life. And I look over to where the door is, see how close I can get out. And he says, I said, well, how do you, how do you know you have the spirit of murder? And he said, well, I killed a guy when I was 16 and that was five years ago. I just got done finishing my time, but I still feel like there's a spirit of murder on my life. And I said, can you give me just a moment? <laughs> and I go out my office and I go down the hall, find my youth pastor. And uh, so I found him and uh, he was there and I said, hey, I got a guy I want us to pray together for. He said, yeah, bring him on down. So I bring him down to, to my youth pastor's office and I want you to get this picture. So we walk in the door and here's the door. I sit down here by the door because I know he's got murder on him. I didn't tell my youth pastor, just told him I wanted to pray for this guy. So this guy sits here, and then the youth pastor's desk is here, and there was no way for the youth pastor to get out. And so all of a sudden, uh, I said, well, uh, tell, tell my youth pastor what you're about. And he goes, well, I, I feel like I have this spirit of murder on me. And, and my youth pastor looks at me like, I'm thinking, well, what's the problem? I'm by the door, you're okay. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this guy starts going. I'm like, are you all right? And you could see my youth back. I thought the guy literally, I thought he was gonna jump over his desk and start eating him. I said, what's, what's going on? He goes, I'm, I'm tasting raw flesh. And, I said, and so you should have saw my youth pastor. His eyeballs were, he was just, and I'm thinking, okay. Uh, I said, are you, are, is there something else going on here? And he goes, well, yeah, I had a tooth pulled yesterday. And I was like, oh, that's it, okay. So we prayed for him and everything was fine. But I just went, you know, I can relate to how Ananias was feeling. That's, my, that's just a little side note for that story. All right, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a, by the way, that's another big story about that, that guy who came in. It's a great story, actually. Anyway, so, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Now, I just want you to know, that is a real statement of faith. This guy's been killing his friends and killing everybody. And then it says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there, were, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when, and so I just want you to know, 
you get saved, you receive your sight, and then you fill with the Holy Spirit and get baptized. That's what it's saying there. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent, whole, uh, spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So uh, to me, this is an amazing encounter conversion. Uh, if there ever was a moment, this was one, all right? Now, I believe God wants to use our lives and this church to bring encounter transformations into people's lives. So I want to ask you a question that, that you need to just picture this now. Who is the long shot in your life? The one you think is least likely to ever come to church, the least likely to ever get saved, and you can write this down. God has a customized encounter waiting for those he's calling to himself. Okay, that's what he does. So something that stands out to me in verses three through 19 is that the Holy Spirit tells Ananias this, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So I want us to understand, God chooses people long before they choose him. So don't ever get discouraged. I, I, I think of a woman that was in my life who, who prayed for me from the time I was 12 till the time I was 18 to keep me safe through my teenage years. But she had a husband that she prayed for his salvation for 48 years, and he came to know the Lord two years before he died. So you never know. God, God chooses you long before you choose him. Anyway, uh, it tells us in 1 Peter 5, you and I are a chosen generation. We're a holy people set apart for God's purpose that while we were running from God in our rebellion, he was drawing us to himself. And I'm sure there's at least a few people under the sound of my voice today that would just say, listen, I, I, haven't, I have yet to discover God's purpose for my life, but I'm telling you, you're here because God drew you here. Today might be your encounter with God. So some of you don't realize you've been chosen and some of you have been just jumping, bumping around, doing your own thing. But God sees a version of you after you've been cleansed, forgiven, and made right with the Father. And he, he sees you with your gifts activated and you fulfilling your purpose uh, of God in your life. So as we hear that message, there's a choosing go that goes on in each of us and those who see us uh, it, uh, it becomes evidence that God has done a transformation in our lives. Now, places like Harbor City Church uh, that are a little more charismatic, we get criticized, uh, critiqued, I should say, as a church about being all about the emotional experience. And let me just say this. Yes, we are. We're after the emotional experience. Nothing good comes out of deadness. There should be life. There should be joy. It should, the Bible is full of characters that had encounters with God that were full of experiences that were life-changing. And we're all praying for that every single week. But you can look at people like Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Esther, Ruth, Samuel, Daniel, Job, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can just go on and on and on. And every one of them had personal uh, encounters that transformed their lives. And so, because we serve a God of the supernatural and he invades the natural 
when you encounter him and changes what we're like uh, in the natural to supernatural. And just I just want you to know, it's more than doctrine and it's more than theology. It's the power and the presence of God that changes people. And you might, you might have a vision, you might have a dream, you, you, will, you might have a moment where something will radically change your perspective about who God is. I heard a story about a woman the other day who, who her son had been after her for years and years and years. She wanted nothing to do with God. And so he prayed for a radical uh, transformation and encounter. She went to bed and she literally had this vision of God and woke up that morning and said, called her son and said, I need you to come over here and pray with me. I need Jesus in my life. Encounters are just a moment away. So we believe in encounters. We're praying for encounters. And if you haven't had one, I'm praying you will have one and God will change your life. Now, if you're praying for a prodigal son or daughter or a prodigal wife or husband, I just want you to know God knows how to get their, intention, uh, get their attention. See, God knocked Paul off his horse, but I'm not saying God's gonna knock your husband or wife off their Vespa or scooter or bike, but, but I do know this. Trust me, he knows how to get people's attention. And so the church is thriving here, and uh, back in Acts 5, 6, and 7, and the leaders of Judaism are irate because their followers are turning uh, to the way to Christianity, so they try to kill their leaders. I just want to make a statement here as well. Dead religion always tries to kill a move of the spirit and those who are leading a move of the spirit. I just, I need to say that. You need to know that if you are making a difference for God, the enemy will be after you. And they make up some false accusations about a guy named Stephen that was in Acts 6 and 7. And uh, Stephen, what they do is they accuse him of things, false accusations. They bring him to this mock court and accuse him of blaspheming God. So they bring, and by this way, Stephen was only 29 years old when he loses his life. So they bring him in front of this court. They ask him, is it true? Are you guilty of blaspheming God? And he answers, dear brothers and fathers. Now, time out for a moment. If you're a brand new Christian, I'm just, I'm gonna ask you to go home today and you need to read Acts 7. If you want to understand the Bible, the Old Testament, read Acts 7, because Acts 7 is an overview of the Old Testament. When Stephen is on trial, they ask him, are these accusations true? And he goes into this sermon, jumps back 2,000 years, and then he covers 1,000 years of Jewish history, 14 generations. He goes through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then he comes to David because he prophesied that the Messiah's lineage would come from his bloodline. And one of Jesus' titles was the son of David. So Stephen paints this great picture, I want you to get this, and preaches the great sermon that introduces Jesus as the theme of the entire Old Testament. So these guys he's talking to had read the same Bible, the same Torah, the same Bible that you and I read, but they couldn't see Jesus in the story. And that's what happens to so many folks. Let me be clear on this. It is a revelation of the Holy Spirit that comes into people's hearts and lives who are far from God that when all of a sudden they're reading the Bible, 
it jumps out at them. It's all about Jesus. That's what it's about. But you can be in church for years. You can be hearing the Bible and miss Jesus and miss the whole thing. Many cults sprinkle Jesus, a little Jesus here and a little Jesus there to understand that Jesus is, is uh, uh, just a, a good man. But I'm telling you, what, to understand that Jesus is the son of God and that he's the savior of the world, it takes a revelation of the Holy Spirit. So Stephen is preaching this sermon and he turns a corner after a long exegesis of their heritage of the Old Testament And let me just read a portion of it from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, that should be all of us, by the way, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen. That's the synagogue that that Saul of Tarsus attended. And uh, it was uh, called uh, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. So I believe Saul was one of these guys who were arguing with him. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the the Spirit uh, gave him as he spoke. So think about this. You know when the Spirit of God comes on people's lives, conviction, change, it just compels you. I gotta get right with God. I gotta do something for God. So as he spoke, that's what was happening. All who who were sitting and the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So the presence of God is just radiating from this guy's life. Now, in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 51, I want to just give you, as he goes into this long sermon, this is the end of it. He looks at him intently, and he says this in verse 51. You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. You must forever resist the Holy Spirit. That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they took their fists, shook their fists at him in the middle of his sermon. I haven't seen any of you do that though. And they shook him in rage, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Can you imagine that? And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And uh, then they put their hands over their ears. And I've seen people who are demon-possessed do this, where they put their hands over their ears and their fingers in their ears and began shouting. And they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man who named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, I want to give you some application real quickly. How encounters transform lives. Here's the first one. 
Someone was reflecting the beauty of Jesus and did not know who was watching. And that's, I, I just want you to know, I, I, to get this picture, as these religious leaders hear about Jesus, they are convicted to their heart and, and they knew they had crucified him. But they picked up stones that were the size of, of softballs and of grapefruits and they want to throw these rocks. But first they take off their coats and they lay him at the, at the feet of this young man named Saul who's full of anger, wanting to uh, make his way up the food chain so he can make something of his life, make a difference for God and that other people admire. And he witnesses Stephen while he's being stoned and sees the glory of God and see, here's the anointing of God. He hears Stephen say, I see the Lord. He's standing at the right hand of the Father. And then he cries out, do not lay the sin to their charge. Does that sound familiar? That's just like Jesus on the cross. Could we have the grace to be able to say that against those who've hurt us? So the presence of Jesus was so strong in Stephen that he reflected the glory of God in this moment. Here's what I want us to hear on this point. When we reflect the glory of God in your life as a Christian, someone is watching. I want you to hear that. The reflection of his glory will bring about conviction and change in people's lives. And I can't help but think as Saul of Tarsus is looking on and he sees the radiance of the presence of God. Did you know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 that you and I are living epistles read by men? They may not be able to find a Bible. They may not have something in a cover on their phone. You know what they read? They read you. They're reading to see if the God you proclaim is really real. They're not there to judge you or condemn you. They just want to know, does this God that you've talked about able to sustain you, give you purpose and destination for your life? They want to see a reflection of Jesus. And I've had so many people come to me over the years watching our lives and all the things we've been through, good and bad, to know if we're still serving God, the God we proclaimed all the way back in high school. They want to know, are we still, uh, is this God still making a difference in our lives? So here's Stephen. Uh, He's martyred at 29 years of age. I've had people say this to me. It's awfully young to, to die and to make a difference for God. There's so many people who've died young made a difference for God. Uh, one, one young man was Jim Elliott. He was called to Ecuador to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. He went to an indigenous people who'd never, ever heard the gospel. And as he went there to share the gospel, the very tribe he tried to share the love of Christ with killed him. But he left a legacy. His wife went back after him to love on the people who killed her husband. But here's the quote Jim Elliott made at the age of 28. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I just want to call on all of us today. If you're on the sidelines, I'm telling you, there comes a moment when you realize my life is not my own. I need to give it all to the Lord. I give it all to him. So, number two, the church was experiencing consistent supernatural activity because of fervent prayer. In other words, the church in Acts was experiencing transformational encounters on a weekly basis because they were a praying 
church. Let me just say this. Not much happens around churches that do not pray. A non-praying church is a dead church. A non-praying Christian is a dead Christian. You need to understand this. You can have the stage. You can have the lights. You can have the light show. But unless Jesus shows up, unless there's prayer going on, there's no river of the Holy Spirit moving among the people. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Every Christian home should be a house of prayer. But this place should be full on Wednesday nights. So I'm calling you up to a new level. I'm asking you not just to pray. I'm asking you to fast. This Wednesday, just Wednesdays, if you will fast one meal or the whole day, but spend some time giving up and sacrificing and interceding for others so that Jesus might move in this place and give encounters throughout Grace Harbor. I want to submit to you that Paul's conversion was not one of sovereign, one sovereign moment where God just grabbed a murderer, but it was, his, it was the result of spiritual activity of a praying church. And there's cause of an effect when a church prays. Now, the founders of the Methodist church uh, back in the day when they first started was amazing what God did through Charles and John Wesley. John Wesley made this statement. He said, God does nothing on earth except in response to believing prayer. Ian Bounds said, God shapes the world by prayer. D.L. Moody said, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. And Jesus said this, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I hope you're with me on this. I don't know if you've heard, but there's an onslaught of evil being released over America and over the world. There's more demonic stuff going on now than ever in the history of the world. And it's not, and and what's the church going to do? We need to get on our knees. We need to fast. We need to pray. We need to see God break through in our young children and our junior high and our high schools and our colleges and see a move of God that only comes through prayer. I felt like God was saying, hey, Harbor City Church, do you want to be part of it? And I'm saying, Lord, yes, don't pass us by. We want to be part of that. So when you look at the church, how it started in Acts chapter 1, they were praying. Acts chapter 2, they were in one accord and in unity, seeking God. Uh, The Holy Spirit gets poured out. Acts 3, they're praying some more. A lame man, a miracle gets uh, uh, given. And then uh, Acts 4, the place where they're praying is shaken. Then they start casting out demons and they're laying hands on new leaders and all that good stuff. And by the time you get to Acts 12, Peter's in prison. But guess what? The church went to prayer and the whole place is shaken and miracles begin to happen again. I'm telling you, no matter what the onslaught of the enemy is, the church cannot be stopped if you get on your knees and go after God. You don't have to walk in fear, walk in faith, walk in power, and go after the Lord with your whole heart. Now, uh, I just want you to know the church understood fasting. We need to understand it more. Number three, someone took Saul by the hand and walked with him into his calling. Saul didn't become uh, who he became simply because he had an encounter on the road. 
Someone fasted and prayed for the spiritual atmosphere of the city. We need to pray for the spiritual atmosphere of every town, all of Grace Harbor, of every state, and especially in Washington, D.C. Then someone grabbed him by the hand and walked with him. He couldn't get to go or he couldn't go where God wanted him to go unless someone grabbed him by the hand and took him. So let me ask you a question. Who do you need to grab by the hand and say, let me help you discover God's plan and purpose for your life? Let's stand. I don't know if you noticed this, but my voice got stronger as I preached. Uh, and I thank you for your prayers. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know how you walked in here. I don't know what your spiritual status is, but God does. And if you don't know him, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. It takes guts to be a Christian. It takes guts to stand up. It takes guts to, to just say, I'm going after God with my whole heart. And I'm gonna ask you to do that in just a moment. You're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. Today, God's encountering you by the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I put you here in this place. I chose you for such a time as this. And if that's you and you know it, raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need Christ in my life. Thank you. I see that in. I see that in. Thank you. Three, four, five, six. Thank you. That's great. All right. Come on. We're going to pray for you. This is a prayer of faith. You believe it in your heart. You confess it with your mouth. And we do it all together because you're not alone in your walk with the Lord. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes. Come into my life, be my savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give these folks a big hand. Now, if I can have some prayer people come on up, we're gonna close with a worship song. If you gave your life to Christ today, they'll help you get started on your walk with the Lord. Uh, also, if you need prayer for anything, they wanna help you with that. But let's worship the Lord. Let's believe God for a move. And let me just see all of us together here on Wednesday night, all right?